Welcome to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Eric Capelli. And just something always to be aware of, you know, uh, I was uh, up until a 15-year gap period of my life of living overseas, I was obviously a New Englander just like you. And they call us the frozen chosen. And the reason they do that is because sometimes, you know, I think we, we can, if we're not watchful and mindful of it, we can let the weather conditions determine our moods. We can let it determine our spirituality. It happens. The more north you go, the colder sometimes people are, even emotionally. Of They're very distant. They're not as expressive. It's sometimes like the weather influences it. When it's raining or cold or windy, it's like, oh, leave me alone. Don't touch me. Don't look at me. But what I love about King David, what he says is, uh, at one moment, he says, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. And they refer to that as soul talk. And sometimes as a believer, you need to speak to your soul, yeah? And your soul is who gets up on a kind of cloudy or rainy or almost snowy Sunday morning, and it's a little bit cranky, a little bit cold, the muscles are a little bit sore. And so sometimes that can influence our praise and our worship, but you need to learn the art of soul talk sometimes, that despite how I feel, I begin to praise the Lord. And it's like throwing salt on ice in the middle of the winter. By praising the Lord, it changes everything. It changes your attitude. It changes the atmosphere. And it definitely makes sure that the presence of God is interjected into your situation. So again, as you're seated, you don't need to stand. Let's give them one last shout of praise this morning and shake off the frozenness. He's a good God. And it's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day, everyone. I love you. You all get to be my little Valentines for today, but I only have one big Valentine. That is my wife. I'm just going to sign this. This morning, we are doing some fun things today as we have uh, new members that are joining the church in first and second service. During our second service, we will be baptizing two of our youth. So if you're interested in seeing that and you want to come back for second service, feel free to do so. But this morning, I would gladly like to welcome Bruce Clooney to come to the front. Let's give Bruce a round of applause as he comes to the stage this morning. Bruce started joining us, I believe, when we returned indoors. He found out about Bethel. And one thing about Bruce that we have quickly come to realize, and I like to say a little bit about people just so you get to know them, is Bruce has known the Lord for quite some time, but he was looking for a home church to call home. So in all his years of being a believer and serving the Lord faithfully, this is the first time he is becoming a member of a church because of that connection that he feels with Bethel. But Bruce, you are genuinely a true brother in the faith. Your love for this church and its people, your thankful attitude, and your constant willingness to be a help are just exemplary. And we love you as our brother today, and we gladly welcome you into the Bethel family. Uh, Firstly, I just want to show you, we're presenting you with a certificate of membership. This says, this, uh, this certifies that Bruce Clooney has publicly received Christ as Lord and Savior and has been received in full membership at Bethel Christian Church on February 14th, 2021. 
You are the body of the anointed one, and each of you is a unique and vital part of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Bruce, you are part of the body of Christ universal, but you are part of this local body. And God, with his anointing, has placed you here and is gonna use you mightily to build on his house. I'm gonna have you sign our membership uh, log here. If you could just, oh, here you go, put your beautiful name right there. And I kindly ask that the members of the church stand just for one moment as we pray for our brother and bless him into this house. I, Bruce, you know, the church knows this, but just for you personally, I believe in blessing. I believe in blessing my family, my wife, my children, laying hands on them and just praying blessings, even if it's all throughout their life. And so you are part of our family. And so being part of a family means that the hand of blessing rests upon you. And we love you in this house. So let us extend our hands to our brother and bless him into this fellowship. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you not only that you have saved Bruce and filled him with your spirit, but we thank you that you have placed him in this house. We pray, Lord, for everything that he means to Bethel as a true brother in the faith. We pray that he would feel the loving acceptance, not only of your presence, but of his brothers and sisters here at Bethel. So Bruce, as part of the body of Christ here at Bethel, we bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thank you, Bruce. It's a wonderful privilege to be part of the body of Christ. Amen? I just, the, the benefits of being a believer and being part of the body are just amazing. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we are going to be looking in 1 John. Hey, surprise, we're back again. And it's going to be chapters 4 and 5, so you don't have to turn all over the place with your Bibles this morning. And hopefully, for those that are watching online and those that are here today, um, just reading this, um, because there's a lot to be covered sometimes. And I don't want to teach you. I want to preach to you. And while I'm preaching, I do teach you a little bit. But again, as we move forward with the sermon series for this month, and especially because it is Valentine's Day, we have to ask ourselves the question, what's love got to do with it? And that's the famous song that we know about, but love has a lot to do with it. And the more that I read 1 John and 2 John and 3 John and even the Gospel of John, we understand that Christ came to reveal the love of the Father. And the revelation of that love is so huge. It is so big and so abundant that it's like a river that flows and overflows. And with the overflow of that love from the Father to the Son to the Spirit, that love is also imparted to us as believers. And so because of it, the love of God is something that is contagious. The love of God is something that is transferable. And so today, we would like to kind of hone in on a specific topic. So the sermon title for today is Systemic Love. We've heard the terminology over the past few years and even this past year of systemic racism. Systemic racism is an ongoing structural process where people are discriminated against 
inadvertently, or I would say vertently, but vertently isn't a word, deliberately. And so that is built in throughout a framework of a system. But see, the system of the United States as a nation and as a country, there are certain good things built within our system, but there were also certain bad things built within our system. And that holds true for every single nation under the sun. Every culture and every nation has wonderful things about it, and every culture and nation has sinful things about it. I'm probably going to need another microphone. <laughs> and so because of that, God decided to establish his kingdom, his governance here on earth. And he established it through Jesus. And Jesus is incorruptible. He is flawless and he is perfect. And within the culture of the kingdom of his son Jesus, he has established the law and principle of love. And so the love of God is built into the fabric of Christianity. The love of God is built into everything that has to do with being a Christian. The love of God is what motivates us. The love of God is what keeps us. The love of God is what sets us free. The love of God delivers us from fear. The love of God helps us to love our enemies. And so it's a deeper kind of love. When the Pentecostal movement started in 1908 in the United States, it was started in Los Angeles, California. There was a man by the name of William Seymour. He was born into slave parents. William Seymour began to hear and read about the possibility of the infilling of the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues. At a meeting on Bonnie Bray Street, he and a few others began to receive the Holy Spirit right on the front porch as they held outdoor services. As the movement began to grow and the lawn began to fill up with people, they moved to the Azusa Street Mission, which was nothing more than a barn with straw on the floor and a makeshift pulpit. It was not fancy, it was not elaborate. They called one another brother and sister because people were there from every single cultural background. And at that time in the United States, you did not call people brother and sister who were from another background. And as the Los Angeles Times reported about the services, they would talk about the manifestations and the things of the Holy Spirit that were happening there. But the Los Angeles Times thought that it was detestable that men and women of all different backgrounds, so black, white, Asian, Hispanic, that they were hugging one another at the altars and crying. And the newspaper said, and they even call one another brother and sister. That has been woven into the fabric of this very movement. Bethel Christian Church is part of the Assemblies of God, which is part of that Pentecostal fire that started on Azusa Street. And the leader of the movement, as I said to you, William Seymour, he said the following, he said the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. 
See, this was a man who experienced the power of God firsthand as believers began collectively to step out in the gifts and in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, if love is not present, all of this means nothing. It is a sheer counterfeit. See, he believed in the power of love, that the Pentecostal outpouring was an outpouring of the love of God through his son Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in the heart of every believer. Can I get an amen? amen. And so because of that, we are challenged by 1 John chapters 4 and 5 again this week to get our love on. Maybe you're already bored after a first sermon about love, but honestly, the more I read, the more I am challenged to love more than I have ever loved before. The more I am challenged to look in the mirror, even at my own heart, my own thinking, my own actions, and sometimes see lovelessness that has creeped in. That's a hard reality to face, isn't it? We all want to think of ourselves as loving, right? I hope we do, like we think we are all the most loving people on the planet. But the reality is, as long as our heart is beating, we constantly have to check our heart and our motives with the Word of God. The first thing that the Word of God shows us is in order to express the love of God, we need to be willing to dig deep. We need to do some soul-searching, motive-testing, thought-checking, Martin Lloyd-Jones said the following, in order to measure the love of God, you first have to go down before you can go up. You do not start on the level and go up. We have to be brought up from a dungeon, from a horrible pit. And unless you know something of the measure of the depth, you will only be measuring half of the love of God. See, the love of God is something that goes down deep. When the Apostle Paul had to describe the love of God, when he said, understand that nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither height nor breadth nor depth nor angels or demons, even the powers of hell cannot separate you from the love of God. See, the love of God is willing to go down to the deepest, darkest place of lovelessness, and it is willing to overflow and to lift you up to the heights of the love of the Father in heaven. See, there is no place that the love of God will not go. When people say, I am unlovable, that is not true. Even if people don't love you, God will love you. He'll come after you. And if every single one of us is willing to let the love of God come into our hearts, it is amazing, it is explosive, and again, it is contagious what the love of God can do. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says the following, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. See, again, John is touching on this word life, 
not only about love, but he's saying live through him. See, you are not alive. Even if your heart is beating, your spiritual being is not pulsing with life until you know the love and forgiveness that come through Jesus. The world can testify that there might be good people. There might even be loving people out there. But see, even loving people, it is not the same as the love of God flowing through someone who has received the abundance of the forgiveness of Christ. See, just like Jesus said, and I'll repeat myself and repeat and repeat and repeat until we get it, we have received much love, haven't we? And so Jesus said, if you have freely received, then we freely need to give it. With the same measure we judge, we will also be judged. But with the same measure we show mercy, we will also receive mercy. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of mercy. Do you? I hope so. And if you need a lot of mercy, you better be giving out a lot of mercy because it's like a bank system or a planting system. When you plant love, forgiveness, and mercy, you are going to reap love, forgiveness, and mercy. When you reap bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment, you are going to reap bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentment. I don't know about you, but if I plant an apple tree, I want apples. So if you want love and mercy and forgiveness, then be free in the way that you give those out. That leads me to the following point this morning, that we are all philanthropists of God's love. We can freely give out his love. There is an unlimited measure to the love of God. In the book of Galatians, when it refers to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, friendliness, self-control, long-suffering. And it says, of these things, there is no law, meaning you can be unlimitedly friendly. You can be without limit loving. You can be without limit long-suffering. See, God will never judge you because you're too loving, but he will judge you if you're not loving enough. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand the world in which we live. No, I understand the world in which we live. See, the modern misconception is when you love someone, you approve of sometimes their poor behavior. In the modern world, we equate loving someone with saying, I agree with your sinful behavior, habits, and lifestyles. But see, biblical love, agape love, is not saying, I love you and I love your habits. Biblical love is saying, I love you despite sometimes the struggles that you have. I love you even when you're in your sin. Why? Because the Bible has shown us clearly that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for you and I. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our misery. He saw us in our deepest, darkest moments, but he loved us and redeemed us anyway. So the challenge to us as believers is this, are we willing to love others in their sin? Are we willing? 
And that's a hard question for the church. That's a harder question to answer in a world that is becoming more and more liberal around us. We feel as if we're losing control of it. We're losing control out of the way people are raising their families. We're losing control of the lifestyles that people have and the choices they make when the law bends one way or another, that that somehow influences God's economy or his governance. But I want to be clear to us as a church, the governance and the economy of God has never changed. It doesn't matter which government there is and which laws are passed. The love of God never fails. The love of God keeps reaching and reaching and reaching. It reaches until we take our last and our final breath and it even goes beyond all of that. Are we willing because of that knowledge, because of that experience, are we willing to love others even if we feel they don't deserve it? That's a tough one. Come on. I say all the time, I'm a believer. I live in this world. It's like a wrestling match. So we become aware yet again through the Bible of the following. Titus 3, 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, 4 through 7. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This text in Titus is full of these words that I call philanthropic. They're words of generosity. They are words of giving out in abundance. And the very word love that he uses right in the beginning of verse 4, it's, he says this, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, so when Jesus came, when Jesus came in the flesh, that is when the love of God appeared in tangible human form to all of us. And so the word love that is used here is not the traditional word for love, agape or agape, that is found in the New Testament. It is the Greek word philanthropia. And philanthropia is that word that we get the word philanthropy from. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to find me a few philanthropists in life. Those are nice people to know. When we talk about someone being a philanthropist, those are people who have bucket loads of money that like to give it to good causes. They are generous with their money, their time, and their resources for the good and aid of others. But see, the root of philanthropy is love. That the generosity is stimulated out of a heart of love. So Christian philanthropy should that we are known for being generous in our love. And why should we be known for being generous? Because when Jesus appeared, 
not only in the New Testament, but when he appeared in our lives, he was generous to us with his kindness and his love and by cleansing us from our sin and filling us with the Holy Spirit and we've been justified, meaning we're in right standing with God. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have every reason to be glad and happy and full of love. When we understand the depths of what Jesus did for us, your heart should be happy every day and every moment. That's the reality of it. The true question is, if you feel as if it isn't, it's time for an adjustment. If your back is out of line, your neck is out of line, and you have whiplash, you go to a chiropractor, don't you? If your heart and your mind are out of line, or your spirit and your actions... It's time for Dr. Jesus to pour some love back into you. Sometimes you need a new dose of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes you need another filling or another encounter with the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, he highlights this and he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See, John, even though he knows love, he's very black and white about this love. Because we know God's love, we need to give God's love. And he keeps it short and simple. The last thing that the Bible is trying to teach us about this love is we need to see people through God's redemptive glasses. That's not always easy. I've oftentimes had that happen as a pastor that I've looked at the church and people with the love of God, but the people that were around me, they're thinking, is he out of his mind? I had people that they wouldn't show up to church for six, eight, nine months, and they'd walk in the door, and I would genuinely be so happy to see them again that I'd throw my arms around them and give them a big hug. And at one point, one of the elders came up to me, and he said to me, don't you realize that they just, like, they'll come and then they won't be here for eight months and then they come again and they're kind of nowhere to be found, just kind of living their own life and living the way they shouldn't be? I said to him, I'm not an idiot. I know people, I know what they're up to. And of course, just like anyone else, I call that Captain Obvious. Anyone can be a Captain Obvious. Like it doesn't take a genius or a rocket science to be a Captain Obvious. But see, it takes a real man or woman of God to rise to that occasion, to show the love of God, even when you feel people do not deserve it. It takes the love of God to see people through the rose-colored glasses of God, to see them through the redemptive lens of Christ. See, everyone in the world around us, whether you like them or not, Christ died for them. Christ died for them. The serial killer that's in prison that we think is disgusting, how could they ever do something like that? Christ loves them. The terrorist that works with ISIS out of the Middle East that maybe hasn't been found yet, that bombed our World Trade Centers, Christ loves them and died for them too. That's a tough thing to grapple with. But see, when Jesus said, love your enemies, he wasn't just saying enemies of your choosing. He wasn't just saying people that irritate you or annoy you. 
He says, people that are also willing to do harm to you. He said, when they slap you on one side, turn the other cheek and say, I'll take it on this side too. That is a deep kind of love. That is a love that is willing to go farther than any mistake you or I have ever made. But when Jesus walked this earth as the very Son of God in the flesh, he spoke of the golden rule. He said in Matthew 7, verse 12, he said, So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you want to fulfill the law of God and be considered righteous, we need to get our love on. Yikes. Luke 6, 31, it says again, do to others as you would have them do to you. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. We have some modern expressions that go along with this. Put yourself in their shoes. When you cannot understand how someone acts and reacts, which is very hard sometimes, can I be honest with you? We live in a society now where when people have issues, and I'll just kind of say it like that to, to be nice, because I don't want to, you know, say anything awkward or weird. But people who in the past would be considered strange or awkward or weird, we now call that normal behavior. And we expect everyone else to adjust their life and the way they do things to deal with abnormalities. And that's tough. But see, biblical love is crawling into someone else's world. And see, Jesus, when he took on flesh, the book of Philippians says he emptied himself completely. He emptied himself of glory and of divinity when he left heaven and he took on human flesh. So if you and I get annoyed that we have to adjust ourselves, that we have to understand someone else, then it means that we do not understand the depths that Jesus went through to save you and I. Because if we only think of the cross, we're forgetting that it was almost like a moment of self-sacrifice when Jesus left his throne in heaven and became like one of us. That was not easy. It's like me saying to one of you, cut off your legs, cut off your arms and your eyes and rip out your teeth and tell me if you enjoy life like that. Jesus was fully God, fully divine, full of the love of the Father. He had perfect glory, angels that worshiped him day and night and he came to be like us and have us question him, not understand him and eventually crucify him to a cross. That's the price that Jesus was willing to pay. And so in that, he asks us, put yourself in someone else's shoes because I put myself in yours. Another thing that we can learn from just simple layman's terms is do not do unto others as you would not want done to you. That's another way of looking at it. Because sometimes we're like, well, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, meaning, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that. So I don't want someone to do that for me, so I'm not going to do it to someone else. No, think, would this person like me responding, acting, or treating them this way? 
what they like it? Is it something that fits into them and into their personality? See, the way people receive love looks different with every single person. Some people love kind words. Other people love kind actions. Other people like written notes that are given to them. Other people love you just spending time with them. So loving someone is an art form. It's a craft. And it's something that you develop because you build relationship. See, we love when Jesus loves us uniquely. So that means we need to be willing to love others uniquely as well. 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 5 kind of sums it up for us. And it says the following, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God that we keep his commands. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? See, John understood this premise he knew that if the light of Christ is truly shining in our life, then we are filled with resurrection life. And if that life is abundantly flowing through us, then that means that that agape love of God is spilling out from our lives. And if that love is genuinely present in our lives, people should be able to see it. They should be able to feel it. They should be able to hear it and to write it. See, you have people that say, well, you don't know how I was raised, pastor. That's also a trick of the modern age. You don't know how I was raised. Well, what that means is you have no power to choose. You have no free will. Yeah, but my mom and my dad, they did not love me. Can I be honest with you? I think that that is one of the biggest farces of modern society. My own mother, she'll say it, she did not grow up in a touchy-feely home. Her mother passed when she was a little girl, her dad being an Italian man that was a little bit older. He didn't feel, normally in the 1950s when that happened in the Italian communities, you would give your daughters to one of your sisters. He chose to raise his girls, so he didn't want to be all huggy and touchy because he didn't want people saying that he was a weirdo. My mother never heard the words, I love you, but she knew that her dad loved her intensely. The only expression of love that he showed is when they drove in the car, he would overlap his hands with hers and he would squeeze her knuckles with his hands. He would do this to her when he wanted a kiss. He'd point on his own cheek. He would never initiate the kiss to his own daughter. And my mom said, no matter what happened in my home life, I knew that my dad loved me because of his actions. But because I didn't have a mother and because my dad never expressed those words, I made it a point as a mother to tell you and show you that I loved you every single day. Well, good. I knew the love of a mother but I didn't necessarily know the love of a father in my life. 
So what my mother didn't know, I also didn't know to another degree. But see, 13 years ago, something happened in my life. A little boy was born, my oldest son. And when I looked at him lying in that little bed, I realized how much I loved him. Even though sometimes I may have questioned, you know, why did my dad leave? Why did these things happen in my life? And I tried to understand that. Maybe there was a reason to understand why you would be so loveless toward your children. But when I looked at my own little boy, I was only capable of one thing, and that was loving him oh so completely with every single part of me. See, it doesn't matter how you were raised or what your background was. What matters is, have you received the love of Christ? Because when you receive that love deep down inside of you, it affects how you view the world. It affects how you view others. You can look at the world through rose-colored glasses. Why? Because God is looking at you through the rose-colored glasses of Christ. He loves you with an everlasting love. Henry Nowen the famous theologian and pastor. He had given up his academic career and his ministerial career to care for the needy, for the handicapped. So here was this famous guy, brilliant intellectual, who decided that he wanted to get his love on. But he didn't feel that happening necessarily in the intellectual world, so he went to go live in what's called a life community. And there he took care of two people in the latter part of his life. Both uh, were debilitated. One, I believe, was a quadriplegic. Another one, I think, had muscular dystrophy. So here was this great preacher, writer, and academic who gave up his complete career to care for someone who was so desperately disabled. And when people said, how kind of you and how loving of you, Dr. Nowen, that you would even think of doing something like that, he said, no, how kind and loving of the person I'm caring for to let me care for them. They've taught me more than I can ever teach them. Regarding this love, this systemic love, Dr. Nowen, he said the following, and I'll read it to you. He says, do not hesitate to love and to love deeply. You might be afraid of the pain that deep love can cause. When those you love deeply reject you, leave you, or die, your heart will be broken. Yes, your heart will be broken. I will guarantee you of that. But that should not hold you back from loving deeply. The pain that comes from deep love makes your love even more fruitful. It is like a plow that breaks the ground to allow the seed to take root and to grow into a strong plant. Every time you experience the pain of rejection, absence, or death, you are faced with a choice. You can either become bitter and decide to not love again, or you can stand straight in your pain and let the soil on which you stand become richer and more able to give life to new seeds. See, this is the inner voice of love. We are called as believers not only to love God, but to love one another. 
And true Christian love, well, it starts first in the house of God. It starts first with loving your brothers and sisters in the faith, looking at all of them and, and just loving them. And honestly, if you don't feel that way, if you feel like you're bitter, resentful, snappy, hateful even, you've got to allow the love of God to reach deep. You've got to allow some soul searching to happen so that the love of Christ that was revealed can get deep down into the core of your being so that it overflows. And from that love, you're able to give it out generously to a world that desperately needs it. And the last thing is not only can you generously give it out, but you can see others through the love of Christ. I know this is challenging. I never thought it would be so challenging to preach or to talk about love, but I know that because when I can hear a pin drop, that means that something's going on inside of us. See, if I preach about power and the Holy Spirit moving the Pentecostals, we all get, yes, hallelujah, amen. But see, this is the real power of Pentecost, is the love of the Holy Spirit flowing through us like never before. Bethel, I believe that God is calling us to come up a level. Do you believe that? Come up a level, rise up, rise up. If you wanna rise with me yet again for a second week on this level of love to be challenged by God, to get your love on, I kindly ask you, stand where you are because I'm already standing. I'm standing with you today. I wanna rise up another level in my love of the way I receive it, the way I give it, and the way I look at others through that love. Lord, we surrender to you first and foremost. Lord, let your love begin to pour through our hearts like never before. Lord, your goodness and your faithfulness are wonderful. And so, Lord, we receive that love today, the love of the Father through Christ His Son, overflowing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Church, I don't care if you were never loved in your life. Like it said in the Old Testament, even if my father and mother reject me, the Lord will love me. Even if your spouse has passed away and you are alone, the Lord says, I am a husband to the widow. He is there. He is a mother to the motherless, a father to the fatherless. Everything you need is found in Him, and He is willing to pour it out over you in abundance. Lord, lavish that love upon us today by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need that love. Shower us with that love today. Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel Christian Church Message of the Week. Head to BethelCC.org to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel Christian Church.